Welcome to the first episode of COP28 Insights, Herbert Smithfield's podcast series on all things related to COP28. This series will look to cover some of the key themes in the build-up during and post-COP28 and what it means for business. I'm Yanis Biller, Senior Associate in our Climate Change and ESG Practices, and I'm joined today by my colleague Silke Goldberg, our Global Chair of ESG and Climate Change. In this episode, we'll touch on the significance of COP28, which is this year taking place in Dubai in December. Now, to begin for today, Sirka, would you like to explain to me a little bit about the history of the COPs and anything important this year that you'd particularly want to stress? Okay, great. Thank you, Yanis. So COP has become sort of a feature on the annual sort of UN conference cycle, and it's, um, however, it's perhaps worth remembering where it came from. So the very first one was actually in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, And that pulled together the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. So the UNFCCC, sort of the abbreviation that keeps on popping up. And then thereafter, there were um, COPs in 1995 in Berlin. um, And ever since then, actually, COPs have been um, in different cities around the world. And uh, they're sort of on a rotation between Europe, America, Africa and Asia. So the COPs each have a number. And they obviously sort of then are associated with a particular year. So a number of years after the, the first uh, convention in Rio de Janeiro, COP3 was held in Kyoto. And that COP became particularly famous because it introduced the Kyoto Protocol, which committed countries for the first time to reduce emissions at the time. That was by 5%. Um, since then, COPs have become, of course, very regularly, have become very regular and um, to call out one, perhaps, is the COP in COP15 in 2009 in Copenhagen, which set a goal of keeping the global warming below two degrees centigrade. And also in particular, developed countries at that COP um, committed to long term financing for developing countries. The COP that is perhaps um, most clearly in people's memory is COP21 in Paris, because it was there that the Paris Agreement was agreed and um, put together. And the Paris Agreement, of course, is the the current agreement on keeping global warming warming below 2 degrees centigrade compared to the pre-industrial standards. So basically compared to um, pre-1850 and uh, specifically efforts to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And effectively, since COP21, a lot of the subsequent COPs have been about how to implement the, the Paris Agreement. And um, and I think we, that this is something we've seen at COP26 in Glasgow. We have seen that in, in Egypt, in Sharm el-Sheikh last year, and this year at COP28 um, in Dubai. I think one of the key issues, there's actually there are many issues that we could call out, but I think we're still about implementing the, the Paris Agreement. And um, this is the first time where at COP28 that governments will do something called a global stock take stake. So they will evaluate the process made made by each signatory towards what is called the nationally determined contributions, which were also set in Paris. So that is sort of a big first milestone. There are a number of other um, uh, discussions and themes, but we can discuss them sort of perhaps in the next step. 
No, absolutely fantastic. Now, you mentioned the Paris Agreement, you mentioned the Kyoto Protocol. These, these are all things that people have heard before, but maybe approaching it from a not so much national and political perspective, what have the COPs meant for businesses and consumers so far to date? I mean, one of the really big points to remember is that the COPs are global gatherings. So they don't set laws in specific countries or regulations, but they do set the tone and they drive the legislative agenda for greenhouse gas emission reduction, for perhaps um, in the EU effort sharing, like how do member states of the European Union tackle global warming together, but also at national level, how do we combat climate change and what can we do to reduce greenhouse gases? This will take many different forms in at national level, it might be more investment in renewables. It might be let's ban a particular type of activity that is very polluting from a particular um, time onwards, um, or indeed set nationally binding uh, net zero standards or targets in national legislation. So there's a plethora and sort of quite a bouquet of um, different possible answers as to how to respond to the, the targets set by the Paris Agreement. But it's important that there is there's quite a lot of different national approaches in there. But ultimately, the COPs have an important tone setting and driver behind them. So they call for action each time, if you wish. So perhaps we could say that they're, they're trying to achieve a common direction with regards to the problems that, that we are facing around the world with regards to climate change. Absolutely. So um, they are... The central focus of that, they're trying to pull, to rally countries together and hopefully express some common aims. Now, now moving into COP28 specifically, you've already alluded to the global stock take, which mm -hmm. will be important this year. What are some of the other key themes that we might expect to see discussed at COP28 in Dubai? There are actually, oof, um, this is such a big question because... Um, and this is sort of a slight parenthesis. I actually think that uh, the COPs have a challenge in that there's so many things being discussed um, that it's very hard to kind of put it all into the two weeks that the COP is meeting. So stock take is one of them. Climate finance is a really important second point. So um, here the challenge will be for COP28 to prioritise bridging financial gaps between developing nations and developed nations. Because in the past, you will recall, I mentioned that at the beginning, that developed nations have pledged to provide 100 billion annually to support climate efforts in low income countries. This target has not yet been met. It was supposed to have been achieved in 2020, but that's not the case. So COP28 really will need to somehow prioritize bridging this gap between the commitment and what has actually been put on the table in terms of money. Um, that will be an important point. Um, I think various carbon mechanisms or carbon reduction mechanisms that have been touched upon in the Paris Agreement will need to have um, a little bit more of attention because um, in the effort to achieve a 1.5 degree target pursuant to the Paris Agreement, the Paris Agreement then says, OK, there are mechanisms such as carbon markets, um, private, state, obligatory, voluntary carbon markets in different forms. And I think what we're missing still here is 
a clear market mechanism and a clear detailed rule book. There was an effort made in, in COP26, some in, in 27 as well, but I think there is a lot of expectation that COP28 will provide a further push in this regard. Um, so there are actually quite a lot of hopes on COP28, um, partially because of the, the stock take and uh, it is hoped that the stock take will, stock take will, um, give parties a sense of urgency and uh, sort of um, heighten their willingness to make further commitments. And um, the hope is really that um, COP28 will give the whole COP process a renewed sense of commitment and purpose, but also, and that's in part because there's so many private parties uh, present and companies present at COP28, that there will be very strong partnerships uh, come out of this um, so that states and private parties can build a sustainable future together. And I guess that's going towards the idea of, of further inclusivity at the COPs, which for, for a long time were closed to, let's say, the, the wider public and, and very much a political event, whereas since COP26, we've really seen a transition towards a much more open approach to COP, recognizing that it needs a a consorted effort of the public and private sectors um, and the wider public as a whole, probably to, to work together to achieve this uh, massive uh, aim of decarbonizing our, our economies and, and, and society as a whole. I couldn't but agree. Um, inclusivity, I think, will be the theme. And um, we will need to check really carefully how that will work out, but also what, what will it do to how COP is actually working itself. Um, there have been some voices that have said actually COPs are becoming increasingly unmanageable. And maybe what we need instead of COPs, we need regional climate summits to focus on regional achievements and, and programs and to push. Um, they might be more agile and then sort of COPs might be not every year, but every two years or something like that in order to um, focus more on the delivery, to have a little bit more time in delivery before the next COP. Um, that, so this is something which actually touches on the governance of the COP and how COP is played out in practice. And I think that will be quite exciting to see in practice in Dubai. Absolutely. And and I, I think another um, area of COP, of course, you mentioned clarity on, on a lot of points. One thing that we've, we've all seen um, in the news, biodiversity is a topic that is receiving increasing attention in light of some of the scientific studies, of course, that are being published that are outlining biodiversity loss around the globe. We've seen the TNFD, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, being um, put on the table ahead of COP uh, to, to outline a proposal of how more clarity can be had or, or provided and allow companies to make more disclosures in this space, hopefully in a harmonized and aligned manner, allowing comparability uh, across uh, the wider economy. Now, with regards to you, Sirka, is there an area that you're hoping COP will provide more or greater clarity on with regards to areas that you are particularly following? So for me, there are two points. Um, I think you have just mentioned one of them, and that's the whole biodiversity area. So biodiversity, um, the, the relationship between nature and people, sort of that whole thematic area will be very important. Um, and the other point is in relation to carbon markets. So what we have seen on a day-to-day -day basis, the interest by 
companies in carbon markets, um, interest by governments in the application of car, the use of carbon markets in order to fulfill um, COP commitments. Um, Paris Agreement commitments is really important. And there is still this lingering unclarity about what is it actually, how do, how do carbon markets could contribute to a country's and a, a government's uh, emission reduction uh, goals, and how can we use carbon markets to bring private entities into helping to achieve those commitments and those goals? That these two points, and, and there, I mean, I'm now doing in an injustice to all the other important points, but this is important at a more meta level. I think it has now been quite a few COPs that we had technically commitments from developed countries to delivering finance to developing countries. Um, and I think um, it would be good to see a sharpened focus on this uh, so that the this financial gap to reach the $100 billion per year for developing nations to combat climate change actually delivered. So... Climate finance at the center of delivery here and, and a hope for a more clear roadmap as to how that's going to be achieved. More clarity on carbon markets. I guess that's particularly interesting in light of some of the bad press that has been going around the world over the past year with regards to the integrity of some voluntary carbon market frameworks and ensuring that market participants have the certainty with regards to the quality of that and international guidance as to how these markets could be designed and maybe the integrity or standards with regards to that could could be really helpful to provide that confidence in the market. And then biodiversity, uh, very interesting topics that, that we can um, pick up on going forward in the series and, and see how it plays out at COP. Now, I would like to, to leave our um, podcast for today with uh, an, an interesting element that, that we've seen in the run-up to COP, and, and this is really down to the idea of how much ambition is there still. We've seen a lot of ambition ahead of COP26, and it's very interesting to see that that is continuing from the markets. Over 100 companies are urging political leaders to agree a timeline at this upcoming COP to phase out fossil fuels. Now, while that doesn't sound huge at first, it's 130 companies which have nearly 1 trillion US dollars in global annual revenues, which have written a publicly published letter um, just this week asking that attendees at COP28 uh, commit to reaching a 100% decarbonized power system by 2035 for richer economies and really focusing this idea that developing countries have to lead and lead on this transition in order to move away from fossil fuels and show how that is possible. So that's something very interesting to watch how that is going to plan out at the upcoming COPs. So continue to listen in. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to you, Silke, for sharing your thoughts on COP28 today. Thank you very much, Janice.